this morning, James chapter number one. You can find your way there as we continue with our study through the book of James. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of James. And if you missed a week, you can always go online to our website and you can find, uh, find it there. We also have a podcast uh, that you can go to. Uh, you can find that on, on Apple and Spotify and a few other different ones that you can go to and you can listen to it there as well. And if you miss a message, you can catch up and you can uh, figure out, okay, but this is where we are, what's going on, or maybe you want to go back and listen to something, you can do that as well and uh, be able to soak in and uh, hear the Word of God uh, preached uh, throughout the week. I enjoy listening to preaching. In fact, this week I listened to multiple messages uh, from different preachers, and uh, it's always an encouragement and a blessing to me to hear uh, different perspectives on passages of Scripture, and uh, it's, uh, it's a tremendous blessing. And so I'm, I'm excited to be able to share the Word of God with you and uh, to add one more voice to a powerful uh, passage from the Word of God. God, and uh, excited to do that. We're going to be looking at verses 17 and 18 in just a moment. Before we do, let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us, and then we will dive into the scriptures together this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for those that are here, those that are watching online, and God, we just pray that you would work in each and every heart. Pray, God, that you would use your word in a powerful, in a mighty way, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us now. And Lord, you know that as I've studied you ministered to my heart. You showed me things that, that I'd never seen before. And, and what an encouragement that has been to me. I pray now that you'd help me as I communicate that, Lord, to communicate it clearly. And, Lord, that you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified as we, uh, as we dive into your scriptures today. Thank you, God, for the power that it has. And, Father, I pray that for each person that's here, that if there's somebody that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they'd accept you as their Savior. And, God, for those that are, are saved but, uh, Lord, maybe are living discouragement, I pray today they'd be encouraged. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would work in the way that only you can. Fill me with your spirit now as I preach. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter number one. Look with me if you would. We're going to begin in verse number 17. The Bible says this, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning of his own will, beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James, as we've worked through here, the half-brother of Jesus, has, has been preaching and, and, and really writing these, these scriptures to that, those first century followers of Christ. And, and we've walked the path with him as, as many of them. He, he spoke to them and talked to many of them were going to be facing various trials, various temptations that they were going to encounter. Many were going to be misplaced from their homes if they hadn't been already. Many were going to face persecution. Many were going to fear for their very lives and for the lives of their families as they chose to stand for Christ. He then pointed them to the temptations that would come as they would face those fears and those times of discouragement, the temptation that would lead to sin and ultimately spiritual and, and sometimes potentially physical death if they, if they heeded to the sins that were so, so readily there to tempt them. But there's another clear temptation that we find here in the scripture. Last week we walked through and we talked about the, the various temptations uh, that, that people may encounter, that, that may come and may try to get you off track. And, and we discussed many of them, but there was one in particular that we didn't quite tap on. Uh, while while it, no doubt all of them were encompassed in there, there's one that I believe specifically that James was thinking of as he wrote those verses that we looked at last week. One that, that, even though it's not necessarily mentioned directly, I believe it's insinuated in the verses that we have here today. A temptation that these first century Christians would have battled. 
And we today battle here as well. The temptation that we find is insinuated because James gives a clear defense of it in verse number 17. Look what he says there again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down for the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What was that temptation? The temptation to doubt and to question if God is truly good. To question God's goodness. That's what they were being tempted with in the midst of fleeing for their lives and trusting God and having faith in who God is regardless of the outcome of their situation. James says you're going to be, be tempted. Yes, there would be temptation for sin as we discussed last week, but, but there's one sin in particular. He said, listen, it's going to be hard. And as he, as he took that quill and he dipped it in the ink and he, he put it to the parchment, he, he looks and he says, listen, it's a sin that attacks the very nature and character of who God is the sin of doubting God's goodness. And that's an easy place to find yourself when you find yourself in the middle of trials. In the middle of suffering. In the middle of persecution. To ask that question, is God good? No, we may not say it with our lips, but so often the thought encompasses our hearts. It's the place that Naomi found herself. You know, the book of Judges is, is an interesting book. You read through it and really it's the cycle of the children of Israel as they would be right with God and then they would rebel against God and leave following God and then God would raise up a judge that would, would, would come there and God would judge the people of Israel and put them into a famine or place of suffering or bring an army upon them and, and then the children of Israel would turn back to God and, and, and then the cycle would just repeat over and over and over and over again all through the book of Judges. But immediately following the book of Judges, we find a story, uh, uh, a little little book in the Bible that's so easy to just, I mean, in fact, if you're flipping through your Bibles, you might find the book of Judges, you might skip past it and get to the book of Job eventually, but but as you're flipping through and, and going through some of the big, big, big books there in, in the Bible, it's easy to flip over that little book of Ruth. But that little book of Ruth is a snapshot of one of those times from the book of Judges, where the children of Israel were going through a time of famine. In fact, at the beginning of the book of, of Ruth, the Bible talks about how they were in the middle of a famine, and so Ruth and her family left Bethlehem, and they made their way to Moab. The, as they found their way to Moab, uh, Ruth and her husband Elimelech and, and their two, two, two boys, uh, Malon and, and Chilion, they made their way to Moab to escape this famine, and while there, uh, Elimelech died. And her boys, who, who had just been married uh, to, to a couple of Moabite wives, they died as well. And here Naomi is with her, her two daughters that are there. And, and you'll remember the story. It's a, the verses that so often are, are quoted at wedding that's really between a daughter-in-law and, and a mother. As, 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 as Ruth looked at Na, Naomi and said, your people will be my, my people and your God will be my God. I'm going to follow you wherever you, you go. And, and they made their way back to, to Bethlehem. And as the Bible says, as they made their way in, into Bethlehem, the, that the people that, that were there, they recognized, oh, isn't that isn't that Naomi? 
Now, isn't that Naomi she, when she left? Isn't, isn't that, is that who that is? And, and as they looked and the, the crowd kind of gathered around her in Ruth chapter number 1, the Bible says this, and she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She says, I went out full, and the Lord brought me home again empty. And, and, and then call me, uh, and then, then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. She says, Don't call me Naomi, don't call me that anymore, call me Mara. Mara meant bitter. She said, I'm bitter at God. Look at what he's done to me. I mean, I, I, was, I was trying to serve him. I was trying to follow him. I was trying to be faithful to him. And, 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 and then the famine come. And so, so we went to Moab. And, and then I come back and everybody in my family has died. And she said, I'm just, I'm just bitter at, at God. And it's an easy place to find, your pla- find yourself when you go through trials. The temptation to look into the sky and to question God's goodness. Is God truly good? There's no question that's exactly where many of these young believers found themselves. Many of them had seen Christ with their own eyes. Many of them had followed him for a period of time while he was on this earth. Some of them probably saw him ascend into heaven. And now they're facing persecution. They're facing difficulty. They're going through all these these different things and the persecutions that they're facing. No doubt they thought to themselves, I thought that you loved me. thought that you cared. I thought that you were good. It's in the times of intense trial and suffering The temptation to see God as anything other than a loving father can become so real. So James reminds them of a simple but profound truth in verse number 17. He says there, I want you to understand, brothers... Right after he told them every man's tempted, right after he told them that when lust hath conceived, right after he said, hey, listen, don't err, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James tells him, listen, everything you have, everything in your life that's good, everything that, that you maybe you don't understand, listen, it all comes from God, and God always does what is best. Everything passes through the filter of a loving Heavenly Father. And I love what he says there. James says that it cometh down. In the Greek, the, the word there is, the verb there is, is in a present active, it's a present active participle. It means that it's coming down and it's continually coming down. He says, listen, God's blessings, God's gifts are just continually flowing out, just continually pouring out. God is just constantly giving you good gifts that you don't even realize. And James reminds them of just who God is. He begins by saying God's the God that created the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's what he's saying there. Every good gift, every perfect gift coming from the above and coming down from the Father of lights. That's what he's talking about there. In Colossians 1.16 it says, For by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and visible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. He says all things were created by him and for him. And I love this. And, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. You see, he, he is 
the one who created the sun, the moon, and the stars. But he didn't just stop there. No, 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 no. It is by him that they continue to hang in the sky each and every day. See, that, that's where James is, is going. He says, listen, God has no variableness. There's, there's no changing with him. Uh, no shadow of turning. God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, for, for I, I am the Lord, I change not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, listen, not only did God put the sun in the sky and the moon in the sky and the stars in the sky, he said, not only did, did he do that, but listen, he keeps them there for you each and every day. Think about it. Think about this with me. I, I, I did a little bit of research on this. What if the earth stopped spinning? Make for a great movie, right? No, I'm just kidding. Listen, what, what if the earth stops, stops spinning? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I'm, I'm trusting people that, that maybe, uh, you know, they, they may think that they, they have some brains about them, but maybe they don't. But, but this, is, this is what they said. They said, listen, the, the earth is actually spinning from, from what they can see from the satellites. It's spinning at roughly 1,000 miles an hour. That's fast. You don't notice it because you're spinning with it, right? Okay, so, so really, you're like, as you're sitting here today, you're sitting at 1,000 miles an hour. Isn't that incredible? I mean, we're, you're pretty amazing, right? You know, an amazing ability. If the earth suddenly stopped rotating, everything on it would not. <laughs> at a speed of 1,000 miles per hour, everything would be launched from its place and hurled into the atmosphere. The strongest tornado speed ever recorded was 302 miles per hour. And at over three times that speed, you and I and everything really on this earth would have no chance at survival. If the earth just stopped spinning. What if the sun just, just suddenly just disappeared? I mean, like it's there and then all of a sudden God just decided, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I mean, it just... With the sun being the pivot of the solar system, it keeps all the planets in orbit. When the gravitational force disappears, it would take roughly eight minutes, they say, the time that it takes for light and gravity to reach earth from the sun before all light would disappear and chaos would ensue. The planets would begin to fly out of their orbits, crashing into each other. Asteroids would be crashing. Uh, the result would be absolute destruction in a short period of time. The temperatures would drop to the point that all life would die on our planet. They said it would have quickly, that the temperature would quickly drop to under 300 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. You say, really? I don't know. That's just what they said. All right. So if the sun just suddenly, if God just said, you know what? Just disappear. Think about this with me. Everybody here, take a breath for a second. I mean, just breathe in. Again, I'm not real smart, but I know that when you breathe, you breathe in oxygen. When you expel, you expel carbon dioxide. And it's this, this transitory thing. You know, you, you breathe out your, your carbon dioxide and the, the, the trees and the plants produce oxygen that, that, you, that you breathe in. But, but what if the oxygen just suddenly disappeared? Now, you're going to be floored by that. I told Tressa this yesterday, and she was like, What? The world record for breath holding was a man named Budimir Sobat from Croatia, and he held his breath, listen to this, for 24 minutes and 37 seconds. 24 minutes and 37 seconds. 
Like, I can do it for like 24 seconds, okay? You know, I mean, like, listen, if, if, if the oxygen just suddenly just disappeared, listen, you're not thinking about anything else. I mean, you're not like thinking about, well, what am I going to have for lunch? You're not thinking, man, he's preaching for a long time. You're not thinking about anything. All you're thinking about is, oh, I can't breathe. And listen, some of us might last longer than others. Some of you would, would probably watch me drop off long before you would, but, but every one of us, that would be the end. You see, James says your heavenly father created the sun, the moon, the stars, and he sustains them just so you can live. Everything that God does, even everything that he allows, God is always good. I mean, the very breath that you're able to take is is the goodness of God. And the only reason... That we're able to do that is because God never changes. God holds the sun in the sky because he's, he's good. God, God keeps the gravity on earth. Why? Because he's good. God, God keeps the earth spinning because he's good. God, God keeps oxygen on the earth. Why? Because he's good. And listen, he allows your trials and your difficulties in situations for the same reason. Because he is good. Now this is cool because... Listen, when I, when I first was reading through this, I missed this. I didn't see it as I studied it more in depth and things. That there was something that popped out here that, that really, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, if you just read through it, you, you miss it. You don't, you don't get it. But, but it, when you really study uh, the Word of God and you, and you really start to dive into it, you see some things that are really, really, just really cool. And, and one of those things is the word that, that James uses for gift. We know that that James didn't write the Bible in English like we have it today. When he penned this, he penned it most likely in Greek. And when he, he penned the word in Greek, he, he, he said this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And the word gift that he used there, he says the word gift two different times, but the word gift there was actually two different Greek words. And you say, well, that, that, what's the big deal, Kai? I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's, that's kind of, that's what I, I kind of thought. But, but listen, this, this is really cool, okay? The first word, gift, is the Greek word, uh, dosis, okay? It's dosis, all right? Everybody can learn Greek this morning, okay? It has the idea of the act of giving. So so every good gift, act of giving. The the second word for gift is is the word, dorima, and it has the idea of the gift itself. So every, every good act of giving... And every perfect gift cometh from above. What, what James is saying here is that the way that God gives and the gift that he gives, they're both perfect. And they're both always good. We've gone to the passage many times, but Philippians 1.29, the Bible says this, For unto you it is given, gift, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. A gift. To say, God, you are good because you have given me a way to glorify you and you are good because you are allowing me to do it through suffering. It it was Paul from the Mamertine prison cell that penned those words in Philippians 2, verses 13 through 16. He said, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things 
without murmurings and disputings. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day that Christ, that, that, I have, uh, uh, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his persecution, Paul says, I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to shine as a light in this dark world. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was exactly. It, it could have been a physical thorn. I, I doubt that it was a physical thorn because you could probably plop it out, okay? But he said, I have a thorn in the flesh. And, and different people think it may have been different things. And, and, and we don't know exactly what it, what it was. Some, some believe that maybe it was, it was a problem with his eyes, that, that he had a problem with his eyes. And, and I, I've heard people talk about that, you know, that maybe the, some of the salves and things like that that they had out of Laodicea, which was a place where they were very up on many of the, the, the medical practices, maybe some of the salves that they had. Maybe uh, Paul had some of them, and, and he would put them on his eyes. And, and as he would put them on his eyes, it would, you know, it would, it would run down his face. And, uh, and, and maybe that's what it was. I mean, can you imagine? He was not a pretty guy to look upon, you know, if that was the case. And, and maybe that's what it was. But we know that, that, that Paul says, for, for this cause, I, I, I besought the Lord thrice, three times. God, would you take this thorn from me? Would you take this thorn from me? And he said God answered his prayer. But it wasn't the way that he thought. God looked at him and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my Strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what Paul said? He didn't say, but God, come on, are you still good? I mean, oh, I have to live with this my whole life. I'd be so much better if you just take it away. No, that's not what he said. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, I'm going to take the infirmity, the suffering, the pain that I have been given. This trial that's been placed upon me. And he said, I'm going to use it to bring God glory. Friend, this morning as James is writing here, he says, listen. God is good in the way that he gives us trials. And he's good in the trials that he gives us. He's good and he's perfect in every way. Friend, when the temptation to question God's goodness comes in those times of trial and suffering. Remember the unchangeable God who is good no matter what the circumstances. And see the opportunity as placed before you to shine as a light for His glory. That's what Paul said there. He said, listen, in the midst of a, of a, of a, of a crooked and perverse nation, in this time where I'm in a prison, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to murmur. I'm not going to dispute. He said, no, 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 no. What I am going to do is among them, I am going to shine as a light in this dark world. And friend, as we go through these things, the temptation will come to look and say, God, are you still good? Can I challenge us to look at God and say, yes, you are. You've given me an opportunity to glorify you. Through these trials. And as I glorify you through these trials. God I pray that you'd use it. So that this world would see. That you're still good. Just yesterday I heard somebody sharing a story. Of a, of a preacher who's, 
who found out that his little boy, two-year-old boy, came, they found out he had leukemia. And, and he shared about how this, this preacher, he said over a year later, he came back and he was praising God for the trial. Because he said, it's unbelievable how many nurses and how many other families we've been able to reach with the gospel because God gave our child leukemia. Now listen, not a person in this room would raise their hand and say, I want my child or my grandkid to go through something like that. Nobody would. Nobody wants that. But recognizing that when God does give us those situations, that it's not an opportunity for us to shake our fist at God, but rather to look at God and say, God, I want to glorify you in this. Wow. What power there is. We see as James is walking through this passage and he's pointing to the temptation that they were facing. God, are you still good? He reminds them that God is still the same God. That he doesn't change. And God is still good. He reminds them who he is. And then he reminds them of what he's done. Look at verse number 18 this morning. <clears throat> Said of his own will beget he us. With the, words of, with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James finishes this, this thought in verse number 18 as he brings one final reminder into these young believers' lives in the, in the midst of the trials, their temptation to question God's goodness. James says, don't forget who God is, but don't forget, don't forget about what he's done. He said he's giving you life through his word. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1, the Bible says, and, and you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. In Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, he says, and you, being dead in your sins and, uns- uh, the, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to, to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He says, God loved you so much that he gave his son for you that he sent his very word Jesus Christ in flesh to this earth because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten full of grace and truth Jesus Christ coming to this earth dying on the cross for your sins he says listen I have given you through the word through this book the truths of this book through the scriptures through Jesus Christ and his word you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior he said it's the greatest gift that you could ever receive. It's kind of like the trump card that he plays there. He says, listen, no matter what you face, no matter what may come, no matter what trial may come into your life, no matter if you're running for the rest of your life, no matter if you lose your very life, it doesn't matter what may come. Because at the end, he says, I'm putting this down. He said, don't forget, Jesus died for you. And he forgave you for your sins. And he gives you an eternity in heaven. He said you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But he quickened you. He made you alive. Don't miss it. Oh, God is so good. And then James wraps up his thought. As he gives an Old Testament picture that the Jews would have clearly understood. They're in the second part of verse number 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James speaking to a primarily Jewish audience as, he, as he's writing this 
this book, they would have understood very clearly what he was saying. In Proverbs 3.9, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. It was the, the first fruit that was brought to the Lord that signified that God would keep his, his promises and, and bring a harvest. It was, it was a, a faith, a trust that, that listen, because of, uh, uh, we're, we're giving this you, it's signifying that God, you, you are going to come through on your end. Now, now James, some say that James may have been pointing to these new believers as the first fruit. Saying, listen, you, you are the first fruit. You are the first ones to be saved in the harvest field of others who are going to come to Christ because uh, you stayed faithful even through trials. One day to, to see the, the, the waves of believers who came to Christ. Why? Because these first initial believers who were persecuted and suffered and ran for their life stayed faithful to the Lord. He says, listen, oh, it's coming. It's coming. That may have been what he's talking about, but probably more likely and in the context of the passage... I believe James was simply pointing out to those believers that the goodness of God that they experienced on this earth. Not because things were easy, but because God is good. That they wouldn't compare with what was to come one day. When they stood before their Savior and heard him say, well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. One day when, when they reached the end of their life and like Paul, when they could say, just like him in 2 Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Oh, what rejoicing. What joy. The joy that he talked about all the way back in verse number 2. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Oh, here he is. He's kind of wrapping this, this little portion up, this thought up as he says, Listen, I want you to understand no matter what may come, God is still good. The temptation is going to come where you're going to be tempted to question. But stay faithful because God is still good. Oh, listen, the sun's still shining. The moon's still shining. The stars are in the sky. The earth's still spinning. Hey, you don't understand it all, but understand this, that the God that allows you to take that very breath, He's still good. And in case you missed it, that God gave you an eternity in, a, in, in, in eternity in heaven with Him. That God gave you a way to accept, uh, to accept that gift of eternal life by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Oh, listen, in the midst of everything you are facing, He says, God is still good. And Christian, this morning, can I challenge you? God is still good. Maybe as you're going through life, and listen, I, I've been there even recently. Where you're going through things and it just seems like there's a lot coming on. A lot passing down the pipe. And, and you're sitting there and, and there's the temptation there to say, God, what are you doing? Oh. You know, sometimes it's easy to get to that point where we get to the other side and we say, okay, yes, God, you're still good. But in the midst, while he's giving the gift to recognize he's good, sometimes that's... That's the hard spot. Naomi and Ruth had made their way back to Bethlehem. and You may remember the story. They didn't have anything to eat. And so Ruth goes out to begin to glean from the fields. What's, what is gleaning? Tress and I had the opportunity to do it a few years ago. There, over here they have the potato 
potato farms and the potato ranches and things, and every once in a while they'll, they'll say, okay, hey, you can bring your buckets over and, and you can glean the fields. What is that? They, they, they went through and they, they pulled up, they gathered their crop, but there were some that they missed that got left behind. You can go over there. And we went over there with buckets and we were filling buckets full of potatoes and, and you know, filling so many that, that we knew we'd never be able to eat them all. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, you're, you're filling the buckets full. And, and what it was, it was the leftovers, the things that got missed. That's what she was doing. She was gleaning the fields. She was there, and it was a dangerous thing for that, that day. I mean, a beautiful woman to be on a field by herself, gleaning from the field. The, 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 the opportunity for her to be hurt, the opportunity for, for somebody to come and take advantage of her was very real. It was a dangerous thing, but they, they were at their, their wit's end, their last resort. She was gleaning the field, and one day she catches the attention, the eye of the owner of the field, Boaz. And Boaz tells his men, he says, listen, I want you, number one, protect her. But he said, number two, I want you just to, you know, as you're going through, just drop some handfuls. I love this, some handfuls of purpose. Just, you know, as you're going through, just give her a little extra. Just drop a little extra. And you see old, old Ruth going through there. And, oh, these guys are terrible at their job, you know. I mean, like, and, they're, and she's, she's gathering up and, and she comes home and Naomi's, whoa. This is amazing. I mean, where'd this all come from? She said, well, I was gleaning on this field. Whose field was? Oh, it was, it was this guy, um, Boaz. And all of a sudden, you see Naomi's wheels start turning. Wait a second. Boaz, I know that name. They formulate a plan. The day comes where Boaz says, okay. He says, I, I would love to marry you. I'd love to take, take you, take care of you, Ruth. But... There's a problem. There's somebody. There's, there's a kinsman that's closer than I am in relation. So, so he's got first dibs. I mean, that's really what it was. I mean, like that's... And he said, so here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to go to town. And he said, I know where he's going to be. He's going to be sitting at the gate. And he said, you know, we're going to go there. And he said, I'll, I'll ask him, do you, do you want this land? And, and he said, I'll, I'll see if, if, if he wants me to, wants to give me the land. Give me the opportunity to, to claim the land and, and claim you. And, and I could just picture, I mean, they're sitting there, and, and Boaz walks up to him, and, and uh, he's like, hey, he's like, um, I heard, I'm sure you heard that Elimelech died, and uh, in the land, uh, it's available, and I just want to see, uh, do you want it? And I mean, like, this guy, he's, he's no dummy. He's like, there's land available? Yes, I will take it. Yeah, of course I want it. What are you talking about? Yes, I will take the land. And Boaz says, oh, good, good. I just want to make sure it's being taken care of. Oh, and by the way, I mean, it almost slipped my mind, but just so you know, it comes with a woman. And, uh, and the guy said, whoa, hold on a second. No, no, no. You, did, you, you didn't tell me about that, okay? And uh, he says, well, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Then. Boaz says, well, okay, then if, you, if you're not going to take it and you're not going to take care of it, then I'm the next. And uh, if it's okay, then I'll, I'll take it. And I'll, I'll take her. And it's so cool because the way that they did it in that day to, to signify the promise that, listen, it was, it was it solidified. They would take off their shoe and, uh, and they'd give it to him. they say, okay, here you go. He said, all right. He said, and so Boaz takes his shoe. And, uh, and that was the way the deal was completed. Okay, I don't know if they like spit in their hands and shook hands too, but that, that's what they did. They took the shoe. And so, you know, if the day ever came where, where the guy came back to, to, to Boaz and said, well, you know, I, I don't know if we actually completed. He said, oh, no, listen. The shoe fits, okay? I mean, this is, this is yours, all right? And, and that's what they did. And, and, and so, I mean, what a beautiful picture. What a wonderful story. And, I mean, everything lived happily. Everybody lived happily ever after, right? But that, that wasn't the end. I mean, if it stopped right there, it'd just be like, man, look at God, how good God was. I mean, that's just that's so awesome. 
The Bible says that Boaz and, and Ruth, they conceived, and, and Ruth had a child. And, uh, and, and she had this child, and it was weird. I, I don't really understand it but completely, but, but Naomi took the child, and, and she got with some of her friends, and they're the ones that named the baby. Like, how would you like that, right? I mean, you can look at it. That's exactly what happened. The friends named the baby. If you have an opportunity to let your friends name the baby, don't let them do it, okay? Because they named the baby Obed. I mean, like, come on. I mean, like, what kind of friends are these? I mean, you know, Boaz, Ruth, Obed. Like, really? I mean, come on. They named him Obed. But listen, I, I have a feeling that, that Naomi had a part in it. Because the name Obed, you know what it means? It means worshiper. When she came back from Moab, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Look what God did to me. I, God's not even good. I'm bitter at him. But at the end of the story, she said, oh, it's not what God did to me. It's what God did for me. Look at what God did for me. Here's this baby. It's, he's a worshiper of God. That little baby, Obed, had a child named Jesse. Jesse, he had a son named David. From David, we have the lineage of Christ. Oh, what a terrible situation. Oh, man, this is trial. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Oh, God, what are you doing? Is God even really good? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. God is good in the way He's doing it and what He did. God was good all along. For in the trials of life may cause you to may be tempted to question God's goodness. Remember who He is. He never changes. He's always good in what He does and how He does it. Friend, if you forgot, remember what he did for you. He offered you the greatest gift that you could ever imagine. His son, so that you could have eternal life. Let's change our perspective from look at what God did to me. Bitterness. To look at what God did for me. Worshipper, because God is always good. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Maybe as we preach through the message, it's a simple thought. But maybe you'd say, you know, I've, I've found myself kind of in that other place. Where I've started questioning God's goodness. Is God really good? Everything that's going on in my life and all the things that are happening, and oh, man, this is just, this is really hard, and the temptation's real. Those first century Christians understood it as well. And there's an opportunity in that moment to, to like Naomi's, become bitter at God. Is God really good? Oh, but friend, if you stay faithful, you know what you'll find out at the end? You'll find out, oh, God is always good.
Oh, he just let, he let me wake up this morning. I've got so much to thank him for. We have a faithful God who never changes. And this morning, may we change our perspective from, look at what God did to me, to, no, 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 look, look at what God has done for me. He is so good. With heads bound and with eyes closed, we're going to have a time where we can just worship the Lord. And I hope that that you'll be just like Obeth, (laughs) worshiper, and you'll worship the Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're able, let's stand together during this time of invitation. Bless, Lord, this time. I pray that you would move in our midst and in our hearts. May, God, we just come to that point where we would just say, God, you're good. You're good. And I pray this in your name. Amen. With heads bowed.